that the commitment of traders report would list. They are the biggest traders in every instance, the commercial banks versus the hedge funds. In 2020, that changed out of nowhere. A third group of reportables titled The Others came out of uh, really out of nowhere and began to change the narrative on Comex. Uh, in silver, over 300 million ounces delivered off of Comex. Now that's 10 years worth of deliveries. That's a whole decade's worth of deliveries delivered to this third reportable group called The Others. They're thought to be sovereign wealth funds, mostly in family offices. Let's just call them the most influential, well-informed, and wealthy private investors. With the global economy being in shambles and central bankers moving towards a reset, it's never been a better time to protect your wealth by owning precious metals. Contact Andy at milesfranklin.com. Tell him Sarah sent you. He promised me he will guarantee you the lowest price anywhere in the country. Remember, email Andy at milesfranklin.com and tell him Sarah sent you. It's never been a better time to protect your future than now. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have Andy Sheckman coming to the program, and we are going to talk about what's going on in the commodities market and with the dollar reset and what games they're playing. We are seeing enormous activity in the silver trading COMEX market. And there's this huge others group. And he's going to explain what that is. We talked about it before, but he's going to give you an update on that. And then he's also talking about how the silver more has traded this year than last year. And last year was 10 times the all years previous, at least with that, just that others group. <laughs> so You, you're going to hear some amazing things from him on what's going on in this market. Then we talk about how silver might be currently the best buy out there from an investment standpoint. Usually gold and silver is not a way to get rich, but right now silver is so underpriced and valued. I mean, it's only a seven to one in the ground ratio from gold to silver. And just using that evaluation of where silver should be, it should be at like $257 right now. And it's at, you know, fluctuates between 25 and 30. And then gold is way undervalued as well. So, you know, what is gold supposed to be at? So maybe it's supposed to be at three times what gold is right now. So maybe silver really is, should be worth at 750. I don't know. Gets closer what Cliff I said. I had him on my program um, a few years ago and he anticipated a 700 silver price based on his Alta reports and maybe. He's right. In fact, I think that might be kind of conservative because when you look at what silver, the value of silver in electronics and other things, it's been pushed down for so long that you wonder really what its true value is. They not only lie about the supply, they lie about the demand, they lie about what the price should be. They do all the games possible to keep that price lower. And now when you're seeing all these others, these huge amount of people buying the most experienced, wealthiest investors on the planet have been buying silver at incredible pace. You wonder what, what's going to happen with uh, silver. So anyways, this is a really good conversation. And I, before we get into this show, I want to remind you to go to sarahwestall.com under subscribe and subscribe to my newsletter. That is the best way that you get notification of all my shows. And also I've been writing a lot more 
articles lately. It's very therapeutic for me. Plus, I have a lot of information I want to get out there that I just can't find elsewhere. So you'll be able to go there and see information that you can't see elsewhere. So it's not just my shows, it's also my articles now. It helps also me get grounded in what I need to cover and what I, I need to do with my guests. So hopefully you'll enjoy that as well. But remember, go to sarahwestall.com under subscribe and subscribe to my newsletter. So let's get into my show with Andy Sheckman. Hi, Andy. Welcome back to the program. Sarah, it's so great to be here. It's great to hear your voice again. I was hoping to see you, but uh, the voice will have to do. So uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I told you I had a, a run of, of, of events that happened this morning. And um, I also, my video isn't always good. It goes up and down. And I've had some cyber attacks on my server this weekend and my email. So, you know, I this ends up working really great most of the time. But I am so glad to talk to you because I wanted to revisit this this others group with the Silvers Market. Explain what that is to people because that was something you broke on my show that is very, very significant. And then I also wanted to, um, you know, what has happened since you broke that, and then we can get into many other issues. Sure. So, okay. So, first of all, the others that you're speaking to is a third reportable grouping, if you will, of traders on the commitment of traders report. So just to recap for what your, perhaps some of your listeners don't understand what that means. The COMEX market, commodity exchange, publishes a report weekly titled the commitment of traders report. And this report typically centers on, or it doesn't typically, it centers on the positioning of the largest traders in that space on the COMEX market. And my whole career, they only listed two groupings of traders there. They listed the commercials and the speculators, the specs, as they were called, or the hedge funds. And it's it's typically considered a zero-sum game, meaning that if the commercial banks like JP and Goldman and City go long in gold or silver, meaning they they expect the price to move higher, then it's the funds or the speculators, the hedge funds that go short. They take the opposite side of that trade as they're expecting the prices to move lower and vice versa. And typically, those are the only two uh, groups that the Commitment of Traders Report would list. They are the biggest traders in every instance, the commercial banks versus the hedge funds. In 2020, that changed out of nowhere. A third group of reportables titled The Others came out of uh, really out of nowhere and began to change the narrative on COMEX. You see, the commodity exchange, the COMEX market, was never designed to be a delivery mechanism. It was designed originally to as a platform to offset risk. Uh, we would use it or do use it as a precious metals company to offset the risk of our inventory. In other words, if I have 2,000 ounces of gold in my inventory, I will sell 2,000 ounces on the commodity exchange so that if the price of what I just bought moves down in my inventory, it moves up commensurate on what I sold short on paper on the COMEX and vice versa, so that I'm always market neutral with my inventory and that I'm not speculating with my business. And as we've discussed before, perhaps a farmer would uh, use it. A farmer who plants wheat in April uh, may not want to go through six months of volatility in growing conditions and seasonality and instead 
agrees to sell that production to a baker who bakes bread, uh, who will agree to pay a price that both parties are happy with. The farmer is happy offsetting the risk uh, and agreeing to a price uh, when his crop is done in September. And, and the baker is happy because he doesn't need to fool with worrying about uh, a wheat for his end use product six months uh, beforehand, he's got all of that locked up. And so it's a way for businesses to offset risk, to manage risk. And that's really what the platform was designed for. But it's turned into something much more, a, a casino of sorts, if you will. And at the same time, it's important to note that virtually none of the contracts, maybe 1% throughout my entire 30-year career, ever, ever settled for delivery. Um, so very often, uh, very well, almost never, I should say, would you see um, uh, contracts that would go all the way to delivery. But that's changed. And if we go back to 2020, we see some very interesting things. First of all, we see uh, in silver over 300 million ounces delivered off of COMEX. Now, that's 10 years worth of deliveries. That's a whole decade's worth of deliveries delivered to this third reportable group called the Others, they're thought to be sovereign wealth funds, mostly, and family offices. Let's just call them the most influential, well-informed, and wealthy private investors in the world. So are and we so talking, have, hold on, would we be talking like the Rothschild group, um, the Rockefeller group, you know, some those 13 families, if you will, I mean, the really, really wealthy people, or are we talking other people? Well, we don't know exactly who these others are, but yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly reasonable to say that you're talking very sophisticated private investors. Uh, you know, sovereign wealth funds are the uh, the top of the food chain in terms of uh, uh, private investors. <clears throat> and so when you make throw out those names while I have no proof, yeah, why not? Uh, you're talking the people who are in the know and have the money to take advantage of these types of opportunities. And so... You're seeing a decade's worth of silver in 2020 being delivered. In terms of gold, there were more gold ounces delivered than are listed as the official gold reserves of the Bank of Japan, of, of uh, the Dutch National Bank, and even the Bank of India. You're talking massive amounts of gold and silver that have been delivered off the commodity exchange, which is a complete 180-degree reversal from anything that we've ever seen throughout all the years in terms of the way that the commodity exchange uh, behaves. And, and, and to see the amount of deliveries pulled off over the last year and a half, uh, it has been truly amazing. And this trend, Sarah, has continued to where we are right now. Here we are in 2021, and we've already delivered over 200 million ounces of silver off of COMEX with half of the year gone by. We are ahead of last year's pace in both gold and silver deliveries. So you're seeing the wealthiest money in the world quietly pull money off of COMEX. And when I say quietly, yeah, I mean, it's easy for us to see it. We see the commitment of traders reports, but this is information that is not spoken about in the mainstream media whatsoever. And, and people are not really uh, seeing the amount of deliveries that are coming off of the exchanges by the, the most influential, uh, well-connected and well-financed well traders in the world. It's as if they see something that the rest of us don't and no one is talking about it. And they are using the 
manipulated paper price as cover, as an ability to um, drain the, the, the marketplace of physical metal, but yet the price has behaved in a manner where there isn't enough attention shown upon the price of gold and silver. And so they have an environment that gives them, in essence, uh, a misdirected play field, a, a empty play field where they are able to quietly pickpocket the COMEX in terms of gold and silver and take possession of it while holding down the paper price with future, uh, levered futures contracts. And it's really quite startling when we see the amount that has been taken off. It is many, 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 many times anything that we've ever seen before. And so the bottom line is that you have um, a situation where if we look as an example, how close we are to them really bleeding the whole market dry. If we look at the last delivery month in silver, that's typically every other month, basically. It's every other month or every few months where we have silver and then gold deliveries. It's not every month. In the June uh, delivery contract, um, with two days left in the June delivery contract, which expires July 1st or the end of June, the last day of June, then July 1st, you get the notices for delivery for that contract. With two days left, like the 28th of June, there were over 200 million ounces in what they call open interest still on the board. Those are, are long contracts that can stand for delivery if they wish. Uh, or they can roll it over to the following month or cash settle um, against against only 110 million ounces in the registered category for what could be delivered. So you had 220 million ounces that could stand for delivery versus 110 million ounces that if they did stand for delivery, here's what you can get. In other words, twice as many paper contracts available to stand for delivery as there was ounces of silver to be delivered. Now you're talking, you're right on the edge of, of, of cash settlement, of force majeure. Of Have you ever numbers. seen that? Never, not even close. This has never been. So now how in the world could there be massive demand one year that's worth 10 years and we don't see a 10 times increase in silver? I mean, the demand went up 10 times, I'm hearing, you know, essentially, because if it's one year is 10 years worth, that's a 10 times increase, but silver didn't even really move that much. How does that work? It's a good question. And it's the levered shorting by the commercial banks. They short the, the price of silver. They drive the paper price down. And they use that manipulated price um, as cover to do everything that they're trying to do in terms of accumulation, but also in terms of blurring uh, the rationale people would have from running away from the dollar and from the U.S. markets. And, and, you know, this all centers, Sarah, really around interest rates and the manipulation of interest rates. And so, you know, you see a U.S. Treasury that has uh, over the past couple of months lost over 60 basis points. That's a massive move. You see a U.S. Treasury that had gone from 1.7% interest uh, down to 1.1 or, or just barely above 1.1%. You're talking, uh, you know, uh, a situation where the U.S. government is doing all they can to keep people believing that inflation is transitory and that the dollar is still great. Because ask yourself this question as we relate, put it all together. You see, they push down interest rates to make things seem okay. Because if interest, if inflation was as bad as someone like John Williams from Shadowstats says at 13.5 percent, 
then the whole thing starts to break apart. Let me explain. Well, um, but before you get into that, um, you know, the food prices and everything else is really increasing. But before you even get into that, I want to ask you, the silver being held down in gold too. Now, is it legal for them to short contracts, do all this this monkey games with the, you know, shorting the system while on the back end taking advantage of the low prices and buying out the market? Is that no, legal? That's not legal. That's very illegal. If you're driving down the paper price to accumulate the physical, that is illegal and and but that's what happens. Why well, everything is I mean, we're seeing so much illegal activity everywhere that it's not shocking. But it, it, it's just them not uh, holding up the legal standards that they've created. And that's what's happening everywhere, which is why we're in this mess that but we're in. Even, even with that being said, Sarah, you know, the Justice Department found uh, J.P. Morgan guilty of manipulating the silver market and the gold market. J.P. Morgan paid a $920 million fine for doing so. And they were still allowed, and they still are today, the custodian of the largest silver trust in the world. Are they still doing the same manipulation maneuvers? They paid $920 million, which is a drop in the bucket compared to what they're, they've made by manipulating it. And then they're, they're, they are allowed to still manipulate? Yeah, so they, they actually made $1 billion last year in their, on their metals desk but paid a $920 million fine walking away up net $80 million. They make a billion dollars a month. It's an insult. It's a slap on the wrist. So some people think they're actually not doing it themselves right now, that they're actually net long in silver. They're expecting a price rise. It's the other commercial banks that are doing it now because J.P. Morgan received a deferred prosecution uh, settlement whereby if they kept their nose clean, that the, everything would just be uh, you know, brushed under the rug. And so maybe just maybe they are keeping their nose clean, but it's it's others that are doing it. Some people think it's BlackRock. Other people think other people think it's it's Goldman and City and the other commercial banks picking up where where J.P. Morgan left off. But you know the real question: Why can't we figure it out? Like, why can't we see if it's BlackRock? Because BlackRock's massive. How how do we know who's doing it, or is it all black? Is it all secretive? It's not transparent. It, it's it's all secretive, and we have a CFTC that's asleep at the switch. I will remind everyone to Google. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the fantastic interview <clears throat> done a couple years ago by my friend Chris Marcus and uh, Arcadia Economics, where if you Google Arcadia Economics or Chris Marcus Bart Chilton, C-H-I-L-T-O-N, everything that I'm talking about uh, will, will have a whole lot more meaning. Let me explain. Bart Chilton was the former head of the Commodity Future Trading Commission, the CFTC. He was the, the, the governor of the head of it. Uh, and after he retired, he gave an interview to Chris. And that interview basically said everything that I'm saying. It said that J.P. Morgan agreed to take over Bear Stearns' short position uh, in, an, in a closed-door meeting between uh, Hank Paulson and uh, uh, Jamie Dimon and, and the head of the CFTC. And, and they agreed to take over Bear Stearns' short position when they went under. Now, Jamie Dimon said, look, this puts us over the legal limit of what can be short. And, and the CFTC said, okay, listen, you guys have a certain amount of time, like 90 days or whatever that time was, um, and then you get your house in order and you'll be fine. And they agreed to it, right? After that time period had elapsed, Bart Chilton, who at the time was running the organization, this is the commodity police, like they're, 
like the SEC, but this is the CFTC for commodities. And he goes into his superiors and he says, listen, not only did they not um, pare down their short position, they've in fact increased it. They are massively manipulating the market and are in violation of the law. Now, he said all of this on Chris's show. He also said that he was told to back down, that it was a political decision. And more right. Who, who told him to back down? His superiors told him to back down, that it was a political decision. Who would that be? Uh, who would that be? Uh, maybe, I don't know, the, the Treasury Secretary, the Federal Reserve. Uh, coming from the top. It probably the came top, from the people who are but, central bankers yeah. telling them down through the system. Yeah, but okay. here's what's really scary. He died a week later. And uh, oh you, know, you, have, you have, for the first time in my career, uh, 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 a a politician in at the top of the food chain saying that, yeah, this was real, that they manipulated the market, that they knowingly manipulated it, that they did not pare down their short position as agreed upon and, in fact, added to it and explained how they actually do this. It's an interview everyone should listen to. And then he died. He died conveniently. Jeez Louise. Okay. I don't put it any time. And I'm going to put this out. Anytime one of those people die, it's not because it's natural. I'm sorry. If it, I suppose there's some coincidence once in a while, but not in this climate. I'm sorry. Keep going. Speaking out against the most powerful bank in the world and, and doing so publicly, and I had never heard any of this ever publicly uttered. And for years, I would be speaking about this at conferences, saying J.P. Morgan is doing this, and and met with mixed results. People, you know, some people thought there's not a chance in hell that they would ever do this, that they can't keep their mouth shut long enough, that that this information would get out, that the traders talk too much. In essence, he came out and validated everything that uh, that I had been publicly saying for years, and so. I guess, Sarah, the question to me is is not so much uh, is it happening, but but why is it happening? Now, it used to happen under under the guise of maintaining an illusion of strength of the U.S. dollar and to keep people looking, you know, not looking for alternatives to making loans and, and, and doing things that keep the system and keep the central bankers enriched, keeping all of that in line. And it's something called Gibson's paradox, which is the inverse relationship between real interest rates and gold. And the bottom line is, if you're going to hold down interest rates, you have to kill the canary in the gold mine. And that is exactly what they would do by shorting the price of metal. But that all changed somewhere along the lines. And and I think it had to do with the Chinese entering the game. And they saw what the West was doing. They hold all of our treasuries, or a good number of them anyway, and said, you're going to let us do what you're doing or we're going to dump treasuries is what I truly believe happened because they've entered the game. And I believe that they have been trying to do the exact same thing only to acquire massive amounts of gold and silver to build their infrastructure. And uh, I, I think that talking about China is the most important thing that we can do right now uh, because I believe that they are ahead of the game and they are moving in a direction uh, where all of these manipulations that we have done in order to make the dollar appear stronger than it is, is only building the Chinese infrastructure and asset base exponentially and, yes. and seeking to uh, destroy what the U.S. dollar really is as a singular world reserve currency. See, a lot of people don't understand this, Sarah, and I don't know if you and I talked about this 
uh, last time we were together, and, and, and maybe we should revisit it if we have, and if not, um, the Chinese Belt Road and Rail Initiative. Are you familiar with that at all? We, you have talked about it, but bring it up again because if there's, you know, what is this important elements? Because I think now with people starting to understand that the the Chinese is trying to become the world dominant player, and there are big globalists, the central bankers are behind them, and getting an idea of what that means. Because back then, I'm not sure if it was as crystal clear to people what we're dealing with as it is now. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think it's the biggest event of my career and even bigger than gold be re, being reclassified as the world's only tier one reserve, as we've talked about before, the Basel III reclassification of gold. <clears throat> but, excuse me, if you take a look at uh, the Chinese Belt Road and Rail Initiative, it, it's, it's extraordinary. And I think people really need to, to understand that this is the largest infrastructure project ever attempted in human history, and it, it's connecting Asia and Africa. And it's connecting Asia and Africa, not just with roads and, and railways and maritime channels, but also digitally. So when we talk about silver, you're connecting 70% of human population in these two continents digitally. The need for silver is extraordinary. But as it pertains to the U.S. dollar, uh, you have all of these contracts that China is issuing throughout the entire infrastructure that are being settled and incentivized to settle in the new Chinese digital yuan. So you are sidestepping or usurping the U.S. dollar uh, in, in every single way with all of these contracts. Now, if you take a step back and look at what the Chinese have done in an effort to build this infrastructure, the first thing we see is a system that mirrors our SWIFT system that was designed in Russia that has been agreed upon by all of the BRICS nations and is also being accepted throughout most of Europe, much to the U.S. chagrin. And this is uh, the system, you know, the SWIFT system is what the U.S. uses to, um, to penalize people, to, to, to put on sanctions, uh, lock them out of the SWIFT system, which is how money U.S. dollars uh, travel around the globe. And with the dollar still being considered the petrodollar, the need for U.S. dollars and to trade in dollars is imperative for every country on the planet should they want to have energy. So they have to have dollars. And so if they do something that the U.S. deems uh, untoward, well, they would then be sanctioned out of the SWIFT system for a period of time and, and can't transact in U.S. dollars, which certainly is going to hurt their economy. So if you take a look at what they've done, first they built a system that mirrors the SWIFT system, uh, and that's ping, peg number one. Then they built the Shanghai Gold Exchange. That's peg number two. That takes on the COMEX market. And that Shanghai Gold Exchange has delivered 90 times more gold than the U.S. COMEX market has um, for one reason, and that is peg number three. It is the Chinese petro-yuan bond. The Chinese petro-yuan bond is a bond that China uses to buy oil from the Gulf states, natural gas from places like Russia, and they pay for it in a bond denominated in yuan that is immediately convertible into gold on the Shanghai Gold Exchange. So you get countries like Iran and Russia who sell their energy to China for the bond denominated in yuan that is immediately convertible into gold. That's why the, the Shanghai Gold Exchange has delivered so much more gold than the COMEX because the big countries are sidestepping the petrodollar, peg number three. So you have the SWIFT system 
the COMEX, and the petrodollar, all three massive pegs that have been implemented to challenge the dollar. Peg number four, infrastructure. They build 12 new airports a year. They have modern bridges and roads and, and high-speed yep. bullet trains and, uh, and, and uh, you know, ghost cities, if you will, where modern ghost cities where you can find fault in all of this. But the point is, is that infrastructure internally and now the biggest, most ambitious external infrastructure project connecting 70% of the world, mo most of which in Africa is really unindustrialized. So you're talking 45% of global GDP before they even industrialize all of this and 70% of the world all using the new Chinese digital yuan. Do you see where we're going with this? On top of all of these pegs that they've put into place and they're building a system built on assets where ours continues to be a growing mountain of debt. So it was inevitable as human beings evolve, Africa evolves, Asia evolves, those areas evolve that they're going to start they're catching up, they maybe bypassed us that you know the human beings were going to start equalizing out. Now where did it go wrong that our system of money, and I think I know the answer to this, but I want you to tell me, our system of money was rejected by those other groups, and they're trying to usurp it and take over themselves. Why Why couldn't we work on a, you know, what, what happened there? Well, I mean, look, the illusion of prosperity in the U.S., Sarah, for years has been fostered, like you said, by the by the grace of our foreign creditors. I think it's becoming obvious that these overseas investors are beginning to worry about the situation in the U.S. And the big money for quite some time, over four years that I see, has been quietly moving out of dollars and treasuries and, and going into gold and commodities. The big money realizes that in order to maximize they must or their returns, they must quietly exit dollars and slowly acquire gold and commodities. And I think it went wrong because, you know, look, in the last, just in the last year and a half, we've, pr we've printed over $9 trillion that we know about. It took this country almost 300 years to create $800 billion in wealth. The, the dollar is being uh, eviscerated. And, you know, I, I guess another way of looking at it is how much longer can the world's biggest debtor continue to be the world's biggest superpower? I think the people understand that. And uh, how much longer can a country that massively debases its currency and, and lately embraces socialism and, you know, you know more than anyone, silences intellectual uh, dissent or, or conversation and brainwashes its youth and encourages unproductive behavior and... All of, over and over. So basically, people looked around and said, this country and this currency is way too big of a risk now, the risk could have also been accelerated by the globalists who want to shift over to the the Chinese situation, and they are. They're backing that. But regardless, anybody with the brain, when they look at what's going on in the United States, says, well, we can't take on this risk. We need to move our finances and our situation to a much more safe situation. Let's figure this out. And then we have these nimwits in dimwits, I guess is the right word, in the United States that are clueless on this. And we're embracing the the plan to, to destroy this country. Yeah, there's no question. And, you know, let me just, let me, what you just said reminds me of a conversation I had yesterday with 
someone and they asked me how high do I think gold and silver will go and I, I had a hard time answering it I just simply said I think it's better to say um, you know how how bad can things get before this is over and uh, you know I think owning gold and silver has never been more important Sarah because look they have no counterparty liability and, and history has shown that all paper money and maybe this has something to do with it loses value until it finally becomes worthless and you know, and I, I think that um, look, gold has outlasted every fiat currency that's ever been. And, and those who don't understand this uh, are destined to repeat history's mistakes. Those who, who save in dollars right now, I think, are destined to go broke because the biz biggest money in the world is quietly repositioning. The big money is like inside the offensive huddle on a football team. Uh, and the rest of us are playing defense. The big money has the play already, and they know which way the route is supposed to be run, and they're quietly repositioning uh, while the rest of us are worried about, you know, uh, gender equality and, and social issues and, uh, you know, things that, okay, they might be important, but they're not as important as the future uh, that we are uh, fostering for our children and our grandchildren. When you're dying and yes. you can't eat yes. and your your future's gone, you're not thinking about, you know, this. everybody becomes equal. If you talk about in a battlefield, you don't care what color somebody is or whatever. You're there just fighting together. When this all hit hits the fan, we don't care what you are. We just are working together. So all this stuff is ridiculous. It's such a higher priority and the fact that the highest priority items are sidelines, why we talk about childish stuff. I mean, all this stuff is child. You know what I'm saying. This well, is just so childish that we're yeah. talking about the color of somebody's skin. That's what I mean by they're purposely destroying our country while, and having us all look and be de It's the deflection. And you always brought this up, the art of war. Misdirection. Yeah. It's the misdirection. And that's coming from the top. That's It's controlling all of our media. While all these other financial events, which are are the most important, and people don't realize this will affect your livelihood, your child's future more than anything else.